What's up, guys? It's David Wright with the New York Mets, and you're listening to the Talking 21 podcast with my man, Danny Torres. Hi, everybody. This is Eric Davis, a.k.a. Eric, Eric the Red. I'm Talking 21 with Danny Torres. Be there, be square. Much love. Hi, it's Bob Costas, and you're listening to the Talking 21 podcast with Danny Torres. Hey, this is Derek Shelton, manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Talking 21 with Danny Torres, retire number 21. Welcome again to the Talking 21 podcast, and I'm your host, Danny Torres. Thanks for listening. We love your feedback, so please keep it coming. Our next guest is a first for the Talking 21 podcast, an artist. He's not a painter, he's not a sculptor, but an unbelievable photorealist artist who uses detailed imagery to draw with unbelievable precision. Wait till you see his work because, ready for this? He only uses a pencil and an eraser. Born in Sumner, Washington, Keegan Hall was just a few months old when he was rushed to a nearby hospital. To this day, Keegan knows he's lucky to be alive. As a child who survived a near-death experience, he described himself as a very shy kid. But in high school, he was captain of the basketball team. Eventually, he graduated from high school and majored in the arts. He was even selected to attend a prestigious art program in Rome. After his college graduation, Keegan actually heard from the naysayers, you're not good enough. Art isn't a real career. And growing frustrated, he began to work in sales and marketing for his favorite team, the Seattle Supersonics. But the unconditional love of his mother and the disabled sister, Joanne, were the foundation of his upbringing. And art did play a huge part of his adolescence and would become the main reason of what he's doing successfully since the passing of his beloved mother. Keegan's artwork provides an unbelievable opportunity to help needy children and charities. Within this artistic venture, sports athletes are helping to lead the way. And as he said in our podcast, I gravitate to the best in the sport. And he gives back in the spirit of Roberto Clemente. Plus, our viewers and our listeners will truly gas when they see how he illustrated The Great One. And it took approximately 50 hours to complete. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Talking 21 podcast number 23, Keegan Hall. Now, Keegan, I know your love for the Supersonics, and I felt that I needed to do that to kick off Talking 21. So, Keegan Hall, thank you so very much. How did I do? Did I do a pretty good job? I love the intro. It sounded just like Kevin Calabra. I couldn't even tell the difference. Very good. Very good. Well, listen, we'll definitely be talking about your Seattle Supersonics. We certainly hope that they're once again going to be in the great state of Washington. But Keegan Hall, a lot that we're going to talk about, but certainly I'd love for you to share with our listeners. Let's be honest, Keegan, you're lucky to be alive. There was a moment with your father where there was uh, the game of softball that was being played. And please, Keegan, for our listeners, tell us exactly what happened that day. 
Yeah, basically, I was I was just a little baby um, held in my dad's arms while his team was warming up at their softball game. So batting practice, fielding practice, and uh, the shortstop fielded a ball, fired it to the first baseman and overthrew him by a mile. And that ball went sailing out into the crowd where it hit me perfectly square on my baby skull. And then it was just chaos after that, right? It got rushed to the fire station um, where they determined the damage was beyond what they could do there. And then it was taken to the next hospital where I had um, skull fractures in eight different places. I actually have kind of a little indentation on the side of my head here, um, but I lived, so here I am. But yeah, not, not a great way to uh, enter the world. Now, you know, Keegan, just we're, we're obviously just talking about a moment for your parents that they could have lost their child. What is it that they shared with you after the fact as you were, you know, obviously growing up your teenage years, exactly what happened and what did they do at that very moment? Yeah, I mean, I think it was so traumatic for them as well that they never really talked in detail about kind of what was going on in their mind at the time, because I don't think they really wanted to think about that ever again either. So they, their way of coping was more like making jokes about it whenever it would come up like, oh, that, that softball, that probably, you know, knocked some sense into you or, you know, that thing probably made you way smarter or, or you could have been way, you could have been way smarter if you wouldn't have been hit by it or, you know, just little jokes like that. But I don't think they ever really wanted to relive that, that moment of terror ever again. So we never really talked about it in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I got to admit, and kudos that this was something that was mentioned and a shout out to the Up and Up podcast that you describe yourself as a quiet, shy kid. But how did that quiet, shy kid from Sumner, Washington, become the Keegan Hall photorealist artist? I mean, come on, put that all together. That softball did something. And obviously the extraordinary work that you've created, Keegan, let's let's be honest. I mean, talk about that a little bit. No, I appreciate that. I mean, no, that was it. As a kid, I, I was the shy kid who stayed away from everybody. I mean, I, I grew up in, like you said, small town Sumner, lived in a trailer park, um, and I had a disabled sister. So I had these probably pretty unique home family dynamics that most people didn't deal with living in, you know, poverty with a disabled sibling. So I think, in, you know, anytime we would go out into um, the public, you know, people would stare at my sister, right? She had, she had cerebral palsy, so she can't walk. She had these big braces on her legs and uh, also was born with cataracts. So she's legally blind. So she has these really thick glasses. So yeah, everywhere we'd go, people would kind of look and snicker and make comments. And I, I think I kind of developed. Now, now, now Keegan, yeah. you're, you're that shy kid, but I'm sure yeah. as a sibling, you reacted to that when they would do that to your sister. I'm assuming that. Well, it wasn't like that anything was like done outwardly towards her, but yeah. it was just something that you would always notice everywhere we go. Um, and I think that kind of just had that effect on me. Like I assume people were talking about me too. And I kind of kind of retreated in, into my own shell and my own head a little bit where I just wanted to kind of blend in at that point. Like I felt people were always judging me. So I think that kind of from very early on at a young age, kind of slowly started developing that mindset that I just, you know, I was a shy kid, leave me alone, just want to get through this. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until much, much, much later in life that I shed a lot of that baggage. Actually, it was, it was the passing of my mom that ultimately, you know, allowed me to take a step back and say, what, 
why am I holding myself back in all these different areas? Why do I care what people think? You know, and I, you know, unfortunately or, or fortunately, I had to go through that traumatic event to really become, you know, the person I am today. You know, when did it all come to fruition? You mentioned your mother who passed away. Actually, uh, I came to find out of a cancer, um, that dreaded disease that took my father 33 years ago. But when did your best friends become that pencil? And a lot of people tend to, and obviously with my own background in the arts, not only the pencil, but the eraser, when did they become your best friends? Yeah, it was, it was really uh, about a month after her passing. Um, you know, I actually hadn't picked up a pencil or used a pencil to draw anything in almost 10 years. So I was not, uh, art was not a part of my life at all. No drawing, nothing. I was kind of going in the business direction, um, you know, doing startups, things like that. Um, but yeah, following her passing, I, I was just driving home one day and uh, I don't know, something was, I was thinking about my childhood and, um, you know, how much art was a part of that and how much uh, my mom really enjoyed my artwork throughout the years. And I was just thinking, man, it's been a really long time since, time since I've drawn anything. And it was just like something was pulling me back. And I just sat down and drew a picture of my favorite player, Michael Jordan, um, posted that on social media. And uh, a lot of people were like, wow, I didn't even know you could draw. That's so cool. And one friend asked me to draw, uh, uh, you know, draw a, a piece of Cam Chancellor. And that's kind of what started this whole, you know, where we are today, sure. right? It, kinda... Yeah, this, this unbelievable journey. Kika, yeah. when did your mother pass away? So it was probably about seven years ago now. Okay, seven years ago. Yeah, like I yeah. said, I lost my dad in 1990, 33 years ago. And um just wish he would have had an opportunity to see what I've been doing now for the last 20 years as a freelance journalist. And certainly we know that your beloved mother is looking down and surely clapping and maybe even doing that little intro about how proud she is of her son, Keegan Hall. But you know, Keegan, not only art, but sports have gravitated you. And we mentioned the Seattle Supersonics, uh, a big part of your life. You worked for the Seattle Supersonics before till the day that uh, that the decision was made that uh, the team would no longer exist. But, you know, you've had the opportunity to, uh, because you're from uh, Washington, the Seattle area, to illustrate players such as, obviously, the great Key, uh, I was about to say Keegan, the great Ken Griffey Jr., Ichiro Suzuki, uh, Julio Rodriguez. I mean, the only thing you didn't include was my dear friend, Jamie Moyer, who was uh, on our podcast, but there's some individuals that really stuck out for me that you also illustrated. I mean, Keegan, let's be honest. I mean, come on now. I mean, you even got to probably crack up when you look at the, the final piece itself. But Michael Jordan, obviously, your favorite. Muhammad Ali, one of my favorites, Bruce Lee, but certainly the great Roberto Clemente, an image which I believe is either the early or mid-60s. So what drew you, literally, excuse the pun, uh, attracted you to uh, illustrating and rendering the great Roberto Clemente? Yeah, I mean, I, you, you kind of touched on it. I mean, I, I, I love sports so much. And, uh, you know, I played basketball my whole life. Um, now, I'm glad you mentioned that. Now, I think my producer would appreciate this because we're Nick fans. Tell okay. me before we continue to go into Roberto, did you face Jamal Crawford? I know he's from Seattle, but did you face him at one time in high school? Yeah, yeah, we guarded each other for sure. Um, we had a actually you were a better, right? You were better, school. right? You were better, right? You were better. 
Well, I would like to think so. You know, what's funny about that whole thing is that the tournament was at my high school and Jamal's team was, was so good. They're stacked. And obviously he was like the best player in the state or one of the best in the nation. Um, so being point guards, we had to guard each other, but his team was just smoking us so bad that uh, fortunately he didn't make me look like an idiot out there. So I don't have any, I don't have any horror stories of him just crossing me over or anything crazy. So he, he spared me. So I appreciate that. <laughs> well, listen, <laughs> but he knows we'll keep, he, he, we'll keep Jamal Crawford to the side. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's my guy, man. He's always been supporting on my art and he's got, gives me shout outs here and there. So yeah, I, I love Jamal, man. He's a man. That's cool, man. That's cool. But again, let's go back to Roberto. So what gravitated you to illustrate Roberto Clemente? Yeah. I mean, you listed off some of my past uh, pieces and I just gravitate to the, the best in every sport. I, I you know, I, I myself am a student of becoming the best at something, which is, you know, drawing. Um, but I can appreciate what it was like to trying to become the best at a sport too. So the people that do reach that pinnacle are the people that I tend to gravitate towards, whether it's, you know, the Michaels and the Kobe's and the Griffey's and the, of course, Clemente. I mean, you look at his career, it was just crazy, right? 15 all-stars, two championships, MVP. Like he, he did it all. Um, but I think more than that, it was what he did off the field, right? All the, the charity work and giving back and, you know, delivering, you know, baseball equipment. Um, Cause that's perfectly aligns with, with myself. So I actually saw a lot of myself in him trying to be the best at something, but also recognizing where you came from and wanting to do more than just, you know, what he does on the field or what I do with the art itself. Now, you described Clemente, again, the the, the multitude of all-star games, uh, MVP in the World Series. When did you say you actually, at least you could kind of think about when you heard Roberto Clemente and what this unbelievable player did from Puerto Rico? When, when did it is that you actually heard? Was it in high school? When did you hear about Roberto Clemente? Yeah, yeah, definitely back in high school. I mean, his his name was always being floated around, you know, just as being one of the greats. So whenever they start talking about, you know, players, particularly from, you know, non-American players, right? He, his name always comes up, right? Because of that and because of his induction to the Hall of Fame, you know, being one of the first there of a Latin descent. So yeah, probably back, back to the high school days, I've kind of had, he's been on my radar since then. You know, um, Last month, this is something that, you know, everyone that follows your account on social media, and I'm going to read exactly what you said. That level of determination to be the best had a profound effect on me, and I often think about it. Why did you say that? And if we had to make the connection to that NFL player, could you share for our listeners and our viewers why you said that tweet? The uh, the one about wanting to be the best or the desire to be the best. Is that, yes. Is that the one yes. Yep, yep. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, whether it's art or sports, um, you know, if you want to be the best at anything, it's got to come from within. Right. You know, the, if, if you're relying on someone else to push you, you're just not going to make it right. Because there's like there's so many people that are great at what they do, whether it's kind of that natural talent that they have. But if you don't really push yourself to, you'll never get to that next level. So for me, myself, like I, I literally draw every single day. Right. And, and even before I got back into art, before I went full time into it, you know, I would work, you know, my day job quote day job. And then, um, you know, spend a few hours with my family and then get back at it. 
um, drawing, right, from like 8 p.m. to like 1 in the morning, right, trying to just get better. And really from, the, and even more than that, I think if you want to be the best, it's like really being honest with yourself where you're at as compared to where you want to get to. And then kind of putting a plan in place to get there, being very deliberate with your learnings. Um, and I think that those are some of the things that I picked up from these people that, you know, really wanted to be the best in Excel. They would kind of take a step back and say, where are my weaknesses? And then specifically work to address those instead of just, you know, drawing every day or shooting baskets every day or just taking batting practice every day. It's like, what specifically do I need to work on? And we start getting to that level of granularity. That's where the magic happens. And that magic surely happened for a player that is no longer with us, the great Walter Payton, because interesting enough, you named your daughter Payton after Walter Payton. And interesting as well is that the NFL Man of the Year Award, I believe what it's called, the Walter Payton Man of the Year, is similar to what is uh, awarded to baseball players and for NFL players. That is the award that is designated for that player that's doing philanthropic, philanthropic work and work in the community. So it's interesting that that particular tweet, you mentioned Walter Payton and how uh, rigorous his training was, how he was so diligent at the sport and something that he wanted to excel in. Yeah, totally. It's funny because, you know, growing up in that trailer park, there was one kid in our little development there who had a VCR and then he had a tape, this Walter Payton tape. So at a, that was like my early exposure to really the NFL. And I would just like watch, we watch this video all the time of him working out. So I just kind of like naturally gravitated towards, I was like, dang, this is crazy. This guy's nuts. Like the level of work and determination he's putting into this. So he was like my favorite player, like all growing up. So yeah, as you mentioned, my daughter's named Peyton. So whenever anybody asks him, like, yeah, she's named after Gary and Walter. Right. So we got <laughs> the, G, the, the local connection too with my basketball roots. Sure, 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 sure. You know, in the spirit of Roberto Clemente, uh, philanthropy is now a part of your, pretty much your resume, not only the photorealist artist that you are, but what you have done with your artwork, uh, having that relationship with sports athletes, running these charities with uh, prints that are signed by these sports athletes. Like Clemente, you were doing this in the community, but there's something that really attracted me to your website that really stuck out that meant the world to me. And that is exactly what you did in Kenya to raise funds for classrooms in Kenya. For our listeners and our viewers, can you share a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah, that was really, um, uh, it came up from a school in uh, Northeast Tacoma Elementary. Um, it was really their project that they were spearheading as a school. And um, so they were doing their own fundraising efforts. And I had recently spoke at that school uh, so they reached out and was like, hey, you know, is this something that, you know, you could assist with and, you know, with with this project? And of course, I jumped on board. So they were working with um, the WE organization and WE Day and all that. And uh, yeah, not only did we, uh, the goal was to initially just raise $10,000 for one classroom um, that we actually doubled that and uh, raised over 20 grand for uh, for two classrooms. So that's just kind of, that was probably the more unique project that I've done. But uh, definitely lots of other projects with athletes and signed prints that have gone to just hundreds of other organizations as well. Is there one player that really sticks out that really just when they saw your work and that that work was going for a worthy cause? Is there one player that sticks out that you've worked with that 
you know, you, you have developed a friendship that you guys are close to this day. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say even like a Eddie Vedder or Pearl Jam, you know, I got to okay. spend quite a bit of time with him and get to know him. So we'll like text every once in a while. Um, Kelly Slater, you know, on the surfing side, um, greatest surfer of all time. We just had, um, you know, I was down at the Masters um, golf tournament last weekend and uh, Kelly's a big golf fan. So we were texting about that. Um, so, yeah, I think you just get to know these people that are, you know, often, you know, placed up on this pedestal because of their, you know, athletic achievement or um, musical achievement or whatever. And you get to know them. They're just like good dudes, right, that you would hang out with, right? So, and I mean, um, isn't yeah, it pretty cool guys, that you have that relationship? You know, I mean, that's something, like you said, beyond what they've uh, achieved on the field. But like you said, they're good dudes. Yeah. And that's the thing. We don't even talk about their sport or their music because that's they get bombarded all the time. So we're like talking about other things that we have in common. So that's where you really get to know somebody. You try to like shed that thing, whatever it is, and then get down to all the other commonalities that you might have. And it's been cool. You know, is and, you know, um, I was looking again at all of your works, everything that you've posted online, everything you've posted on YouTube, on social media. But is there still one athlete or non-sports figure that you haven't drawn that is on your to-do list in the coming years? Well, I mean, there's people that there's projects that I have planned coming up, which are awesome, which I, you know, they're not ready to be unveiled yet. But there's also people that are not I would love to work with. Right. And I haven't been able to get in touch with the right folks. Um, I mean, I anyone, anyone in particular that you could share for our listeners that you would say, man, Danny, this is one person that I'd love to, uh, to render. I mean, I would love to do a project with LeBron. Right. I mean, I, yeah. he's, you know, he's up there, you know, so that he's definitely up there. Uh, Durant is up there and I've been trying to get in touch with, with his team. You know, it's just, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to work through that, but you know, those two guys are, are pretty high. On, on sure. my list. And I know they do different charity yeah. things as well. So it seems like there's a good alignment. We just got to kind of connect these dots here. Um, you know, I kind of want to go back to Clemente and the piece itself. Uh, first mm -hmm. of all, how long did it take you to do it? And was there any level of difficulty with the expression, that determination, that face that Roberto had? Was there anything that really struck you about the man? You know, if you're just saying exclusively looking at his eyes, the texture of his face, that bad and that particular perspective. But what, well, again, what was the time frame of the Clemente piece? But was there any level of difficulty with rendering Clemente? Yeah, I mean, you can see it over my shoulder here. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, it probably took close to like 50 hours to okay. do. Um, and just lots of, I mean, it, it's funny because every drawing that I've ever done, I can look at it. And I just, I remember drawing every inch of it. I can remember working on it for the first time, like, cause I've studied his face so well and I put so much detail into every piece. I just, it's just crazy how it just is still ingrained in my, in my mind. Um, but for that one in particular, man, I just, I loved the, the pose, obviously the look, um, that pers that 3d perspective, not only the bat coming straight at yeah. you and then, yeah. you know, you got the, the 21 on there that, um, it's, it's blurry, right? Cause it's so close to your eyes, um, that it's blurry. So you got to make sure you get that right as it goes back to Roberto. And then in the background from that is a net. So I think, you know, drawing, drawing a blur is kind of a weird concept. So 
those are some of the more unique challenges that you really needed to nail in this piece to really make it kind of give it that hyper-realistic look. But, yeah. you know, he himself, I mean, uh, it wasn't too challenging. It was a very soft image, right? Yeah. So there's, um, but yeah, I think just the perspective itself from the hand and the bat going all the way yeah, back. I love, I love, the, I love the values. And, I love the values of the image. They're, 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 they're pretty awesome. I love them. Yeah, I mean that's part of it too, capturing the, the the blacks, the dark darks, and then the white whites, and trying to have everything in between. That that piece had kind of a little bit of everything to make it really pop. Did you consider a different image? Like one of the images that is quite popular, especially with Clemente collectors and people that um, have exclusive imagery of Clemente, the three thousand fit of Clemente tipping his hat after the three thousand fit. Was there that image that you considered? Yeah, I mean, we this this one was actually commissioned by by somebody. Okay. Um, so okay. we were going back and forth with images, and um, you know, one thing for me to in order to really study the image and absorb the detail, uh, we need to find like a really high resolution image so I can really see what I'm working with. So sure. Um, I'm not sure if there if there wasn't a high res of the other images that you know might have been really good, but this was the one that the guy was like, yeah, yeah, this is it. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you had to go back in time, Keegan, and to speak to a famous artist, and I got to tell you, honestly, my all-time favorite artist is Salvador Dali, um, mm. especially the piece, uh, uh, The Christ of St. John of the Cross. And you know that, that talking about perspective, you don't normally see Jesus Christ hanging from the cross where it's an aerial shot. But it's, if you had an opportunity to go back in time to speak to a famous artist, I know you had an opportunity to visit Rome. And I mean, that's yeah. like the, the who's who, if you're uh, wanting to get and really embrace the arts itself, architecture, painting, sculptures, et cetera. But who would be that famous artist that you would love to sit back and maybe even do a one-on-one -on -one interview with? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it. It's, uh, you know, I spent, I lived in, in Rome, Italy for four months. So um, all my favorite artists are from the Renaissance era. So, I mean, probably at the top of the list would be like, you know, Da Vinci I actually have, the little Mona Lisa going right here. Um, you know, Michelangelo seen the Sistine Chapel. Um, and, uh, but just really seeing like the, the sketches, how they did anatomy back then and how they kind yeah. of translated those sketches to pretty darn close to hyper-realistic and a lot yeah, of this yeah. stuff. So, for um, that, for that time that, period, for that time period. Yeah. That's what I was going to say for that time period, like the, the tools that they had, I mean, it's, it's pretty mind blowing what they were able to accomplish that long ago. Now, I'm glad you mentioned the Renaissance because there's another Renaissance artist that actually, I don't know if uh, Keegan Hall actually maybe even took this idea from the great Raphael School of Athens. Keegan, for our listeners and our viewers, you actually, with your artwork, you somehow are able to put yourself in these particular drawings. Um, where did that all come to be? Now, did you get that from yeah. uh, Mr. Raphael? Did you get that from Raphael? As we all know, that he actually in the School of Athens, you could actually find him there. Yeah, that's that's true, and Michelangelo's in there too. But I appreciate that reference. They, uh, you're, uh, yeah, that's awesome. That's one of my favorite paintings. So that's really cool. Um, yeah, I didn't originally get it from him, but I think I don't know where it started initially. I think I was like, oh, I'm just gonna like throw myself in here in one of the drawings at one point early on. And then uh, I think I mentioned it and people are like, oh my God, that's so cool. That's so fun. And then it kind of started to be a thing where if, uh, you know, I could be a person in the background, if that was part of the image, I would, I would do that. 
But if there wasn't any people, I would have to hide my face somewhere else, whether it's the jersey or, you know, something. But I'm I'm in most of these drawings. So it's been kind of a fun little extra thing that people, when they hear about it, like, oh, that that's a, another level of engagement. Now, Keegan, when we actually have this Clemente piece of yours on our social media, uh, Talking 21, is the great Keegan Hall hidden somewhere there in that Clemente piece? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm in that one. Okay, yeah, okay, I don't want to okay. give it away. I'll let you guys do right. a little where's Waldo All right, search. so I think uh, that's something that we have to make sure that our listeners have a little homework to find the great Keegan Hall. Well, you know, Keegan, <laughs> I wanted to say something to you because this is near and dear to me. So there's somebody that is uh, buried in Seattle, Washington. Actually, come to find out, he's about 10 minutes away, 15 minutes away from the ballpark. And that is the great Bruce Lee. And um, this particular pin, Keegan, my father actually gave it to me 50 years ago. Because I wow. always tell people this before Clemente, it was this guy, Bruce Lee. I used to go to the movies when I was only seven, six years of age in the Bronx, where I grew up. And when Bruce Lee passed away, my dad gave me this. So this July of 73, this pin is 50 years old. It's the original pin. And there's mm -hmm. one thing that uh, it's on my social media, on my Twitter account, and it's a quote. And something that, Keegan, when you worked with the Sonics, I believe, uh, again, giving kudos to the podcast that you were on, the Up and Up, you mentioned about quotes, famous uh, sayings. But there's something that is attributed to Bruce Lee that I have at least, at the very least, tried to live my life by, and I know Keegan Hall as well. The quote is, the key to immortality is first living a life worth remembering. So Bruce Lee's been dead now 50 years, but he's immortal. We still continue to talk about Bruce Lee 50 years since his passing. And Keegan, all I got to tell you right now, what you are doing with your artwork, with what you're doing, and I think you've raised over $600,000 for numerous charities with sports athletes, with obviously those classrooms in Kenya. I just really can't thank you uh, enough for what you've done that you are honoring your mother. And if you can, as we're going to wrap this particular podcast episode up, if you could kind of say to our listeners and our viewers what letter you received that really clicked for Keegan Hall that pretty much this was going to be your mission in life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, pretty early on to me getting back into art and into drawing. I hadn't done any fundraisers yet. Um, but I, I received a letter in the mail, which was kind of just crazy in and of itself. Cause who, who sends letters anymore? Right. It was a handwritten yeah. letter, um, from the mother of one of my friends. And it was, it was something along, it, it was pretty short, but it was something along the lines of, you know, I saw your latest drawing on my daughter's Facebook page. You know, it's, it's amazing what you're doing. Um, you know, your mom was always so proud of you. So just know that each time you continue to use one of your amazing gifts, you know, somewhere she's smiling. And, uh, I'll, I'll I, when, I, when I read that, I was just like bawling my eyes out. And, uh, I, I posted that online and just letting people know how much that meant to me. Cause it was kind of like exactly what I needed to, to read it at that moment, you know, working through, you know, her death and then getting, that letter knowing that I'm on the right track and art is part of that right track. And uh, after posting that, it kind of went viral, right? And I got a call from the Today Show. Um, they ended up doing a, a story on how that 
that letter was really kind of the linchpin of me really deciding to go after this art thing um, full force. Well, Keegan Hall, I can't thank you enough. And on behalf of, I like to say this, my producer extraordinaire, Ras Guevara, thank you so very much for being on the Talking 21 podcast and sharing your unbelievable story for our listeners and our viewers. So Keegan Hall, thank you so very much. I appreciate you, Danny, man. It's been a long time in the making, and I'm glad we are finally able to uh, put this together, man. appreciate you. Likewise, brother. Likewise. Keegan Hall, thanks so much for being on the Talking 21 podcast. I've said it countless times, but something that you mentioned in this particular episode, you mentioned how the Renaissance artists inspired you. You've inspired millions. You've inspired even the sports athletes that you've worked alongside. But I want to say from the bottom of my heart, and I'm sure if the listeners were able to tell you this directly and the viewers through their comments, how much your artwork has meant to so many, knowing that it is going to needy children, needy charities, and especially the amount of money that you've raised, $600,000, that's something to be applauded. So I want to once again thank you for being a part of the Talking 21 podcast. I want to thank our listeners and our viewers. And on behalf of, as I like to say all the time, our producer, extraordinaire Ras Guevara, we simply want you not only to continue to subscribe, to listen, to rate, to provide feedback. And I'm telling you right now, we're going to continue this mission that we started in 2020 to spread the message of Clemente. And as I like to say, and I end every podcast, let's all be great ones. Let's all do great things. Thank you.